So I think that process of writing a book, putting your ideas out there, it's a tangible business asset. But I think the bigger effect that it's had is on me as a business owner. I feel changed by the process. There's been a mindset shift in how I approach myself and my business. That's a snippet from a unique four-way conversation with Debbie, Dan and Emma. And in this episode of Your Truth Shared, we're talking about the book writing process, what it feels like to be an author, and we discuss the question of when does one actually become an author? And of course, I asked the question, was writing that book worth it? If you were ever thinking of taking that journey, tune in so you can hear the lived experiences of the book coach, first-time author and the third-time author who took three distinctively different approaches in their journey. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. The journey to becoming an author when you're in business, it's a journey that's often chosen as a way to leverage success, to actually take you to the next level in your business. And today we're going to meet three people who've just been involved in this process. One is a book coach who you've already met in episode 38, our lovely Debbie Jenkins. And we have two other authors that we're going to discuss what the process has been like. So I'd like you to meet first Dan Kowalski and also I want you to meet Emma Williams. So welcome Debbie, Dan and Emma to your Truth Shared. Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> They're all trying to take turns. So let's start with you, Dan. So welcome to your Truth Shared. And can you give us give us a little bit of an idea of what your business is and why you chose to write a book? Okay. Um, so in business and life, we make lots of decisions. Uh, many work out okay. But sometimes uh, right after we decide the choice, we have 20-20 hindsight clarity about what should have been chosen. I call that decision regret. And what I do is I help people avoid that. I've been in this business for over 35 years. I call myself a solution instigator because I don't have the answers. I have the questions that help people get better answers. And I wrote the book, Wise Choices at Work, to help people avoid decision regret. I have distilled what I've learned over 35 years to be able to make good, sound business decisions. And these days, people are super busy. So what I've done is I've created a series of five-minute questions. Now, it doesn't take five minutes to ask the question, but in the first five minutes of listening, you're going to know, did we make a good choice or do we need to do more thinking? And then I provide tools and techniques for doing that. If you need more time, you'll have it and you'll have the right approach. The WISE acronym stands for WADE, Informed, Sufficient, and Effective. Wade means, did we look at the downside? Most decision makers are excited about the upside, but forget about the downside. Informed is about giving information and getting information from the people impacted by the decision. Sufficient is about finding out what's the minimum criteria for success and making sure you meet that. 
and effective means optimizing the resources and results from making that decision. And I help people do this on a regular basis. Why did you want to write this book? I don't mind working hard. I mind reworking hard. And there are lots of people that rework hard on a regular basis. And there's just no, life's too short. There's ways to make it better and it doesn't take much more effort. And the more people who can make better decisions, the better the world will be. So that's the downside. That's the decision regret impact of reworking. Yeah. Okay, great. I love it. How have you found the experience of writing the book? First time author. Yeah. Um, so writing the book, that's easy. Launching the book, ooh, that's way harder. But writing the book easy, this is, this is the thing that we are all scared of at the start of writing a book. We think it's the enormous mountain to climb. Do I have anything decent to say? All of that. Tell me why it was the easy bit. Well, I think there are two things that made it easy for me. One, I already enjoy writing and, and thinking on paper, whether that's real paper or digital. And then uh, uh, more importantly, um, you know, I got introduced to Debs and she has a really great process. I'd done a lot of writing and one of uh, a mutual friend of Debs and mine said, this is great stuff. Who'd you write it for? I said, no one. He goes, well, that's a pretty big waste of time. And, and it only dawned on me then that I really wasn't thinking about who else might want to read what I had written. And the process of understanding one reader and, and organizing to that made, makes all the difference in the world and makes it really um, dead simple to do. And, dif- and difficult at the start because you really have to dig deep, don't you? Well, again, for me, not so difficult. Um, more, more about, um, if I'm honest, throwing away stuff that was useless. Yeah. So, so um, you know, Emma's on this call and we've talked before and, you know, I, I can vomit words out of my fingertips easily or a pen tip if I'm writing by hand. But the key is is throwing away the, the things that don't make sense. So that's easy for me to put it out there. And then then editing it, that's, that was a bit harder. Um, and especially with a 20,000 word count. Yeah. Did your book have a job? Does your book have a job for you? Yeah, I, yes, it does. Uh, I, I think it's people like to hear the stories and the examples that I have. And I can't tell everyone in the world that um, in person, but by writing it down, um, people can get a sense for this. What I do is not hard. Whenever I tell people a story of a, of a situation where I help people make a better decision, afterwards they say, well, that's just common sense. And it is but they're not doing it in real time. And I help them do it in real time. And I'm hoping that um, by writing this book, people will have a little bit of my voice in their, in their ear saying, wait, what question should I ask here so that I think a little bit deeper, a little more deliberately and make a wise choice? Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you so much, Dan. Emma, you are on book number three. <laughs> so, yep, guilty as charged. But, so, What's interesting to me is you've had a different experience of authorship. So you've had your first experience of authorship was with writing with two other people. You were commissioned academically. uh, And so you'd done it with those two other people. Then you took an online course that you had and turned that into a book. And now you're in a cohort with me, which is so much fun working with you on this. So, So we're 
So we each writing our book in our own ways. But that's a very interesting journey through authorship. And I'm wondering if you can share with everyone that journey, please. And maybe perhaps also to give them context of give people an idea of what you do and what those books are about. So I think the, the first book probably gives a hint as to my background. So I work with um, mainly PhD students and postdoctoral researchers who are all have something in common in that they will have to move on. So PhD, the PhD will come to an end, they'll have to get a job. And postdocs are all employed on short fixed term contracts. Um, I was one myself. So many years ago, um, I was a medical physicist. So I've been there, worn the lab coat, had the fire brigade come to the lab, all those sorts of things. Um, (laughs) And so when I moved out of research and into sort of the university side of professional um, professional services supporting researchers, it was because I'd been a researcher. Um, and then someone in their infinite wisdom promoted me to management and I wasn't doing any training or coaching anymore. So I decided to go it alone and have my own business uh, back in 2009. So you were promoted to a, a role that you just didn't want? Oh, well, I thought I wanted it. Um, but as it turned out, I, yeah, it was one of those career decisions. I wish I'd had Dan's book, to be honest, (laughs) I would have made a better decision. Um, it was one of those dangling in front of you objects that you think, oh, it's obvious I'm going to take that. Uh, Whereas actually there was no training, no coaching, all the things that I love. And there was lots of paperwork and committee meetings, which I'd read. Um, so yeah, so having my, um, own business, I worked with lots of different university clients, and one of those was approached to write a book for postdoctoral researchers, um, a career guide to some extent, and that was an academic publisher. And then she asked mm. myself and um, Carol to come on board and write that with her. Um, I think she knew she couldn't do it by herself, and um, yeah, so she asked us to help. Carol is a fantastic writer and um, I don't know why, quite why I got asked, but I think in the end it was probably for that that process and getting it done, which is ironic really because that's what I need most of my life. <laughs> You're not doing too bad with three books. So then, so that was one experience. Then you wrote a second book. Yeah. So that was writing with two other people and mm. I, they both worked at universities, whereas I had my own business. And I think I was looking at the book from a very business-y perspective. Um, and so I think we had slightly different agendas for the book. Um, and I think the, the question you asked, Anne, about what, what the job is that the book was yeah. doing, I'm not sure we really thought about that for ourselves. We knew what we wanted it to do for the people reading it, but not as a as a tool. And I think that's where the, the different agendas came in. So I then thought, well, okay, I've written one book. Physicist writes book, so we can write another one. And I had an online course that I had all the transcripts of. So I naively thought, yep, well, I've already got the words. 
how hard can it be? Um, yeah, very hard is the answer to that one. And so I had the transcripts. They just sat there doing nothing. So then I got a virtual assistant on board to turn them into a big document. And that was much better. And I thought, excellent, I'll just edit this. And then it just sat. Um, so what I discovered was what I really need in order to write is um, that accountability and a process, at which point I met Debs. And this created- But just to ask you a question, mm. where, that, when you have the transcripts of, um, of a course, and when you when you develop a course, it's often done in a way that's very um, uh, structured. So it kind of makes sense that that would. Is it the transition from a structured online course to a flowing book that someone sits with it is sitting in their lap? And is that where the difficulty is, or was it? But but you've said accountability is the other thing. But I'm. I, I, yeah, I think it just it just wasn't getting done. So. You know, in business okay. life, there are always the things that you're doing and to some extent you need to pay the bills and, and yeah. you know, the book doesn't make money while you're making it, unfortunately. Yes. Um, so yes. it was kind of a back burner project that gradually I thought I really just want to get this done. Um, so then met Debs and had some help and advice and a process and this, these are the steps that you need to do. Um, to get it done but I think the the structure is an interesting one because it the book is different to the course um and in order to make it readable so if you take sort of standalone videos you could watch one of those and then go off and do something else whereas the, the book chances are all the chapters are quite short so you're going to read another chapter so there does need to be that uh, mindfulness of that, which I think made it um, made it different from talking at someone. Um, reading is a different process. So I think there was, I certainly learned a lot about that and a lot about my material. So now I've gone back to the online course and have refined that. So hopefully we're in a, a virtuous circle there. So it actually adds to your course as well. So it gets a second job. What was the job of the second book? Job of the second book, I think very like Dan was, it's a women's development course um, that I run as cohorts for a few universities. But there are lots of female researchers out there who, um, for one reason or another, own universities that might not support them as well. So they might not have the money to run a course or whatever it might be. So it was another way to reach uh, that group of women. And also thinking about it with the business hat on, it is also something that I can send to prospective university clients and say, this is the course in a book. Um, if, if you like what you read, then I can deliver that for your researchers. So it's a, it's a very beautiful purple calling card from that point of view. So what's the difference now? And I'm going to ask Dan his experience of this now in a second as well. So now you're writing in a cohort, which is a completely, so you wrote with two, co-authored to taking a course, turning it into a book. And book number three is actually writing for a different type of book, I know. 
but as part of a cohort that you meet every weekend. What's what's the difference? I think just having some people going through the same, either joys or lows um, as you go through. I think so you've got company, you've got accountability, really. I think that personal accountability is just a big part of what I need. But you're, I think the great thing about our cohort is that we're all writing very different books. And yet there's so much to learn from the other authors that, you know, about their material, but also how they approach writing, their ideas on writing, how they, you know, going to get get through the process. And I think that accountability, it did get us up very early in the morning um, for a few months, but it, it got the job done and it got it done in a way that you didn't feel quite so alone. So I think that was the... The scary thing about putting yourself out there as an author, even though I do that through training and coaching, I think there's something a lot more definitive in that head above the parapet about a book. And so doing it in some good company means that we're all going to do that at the same point. Yeah. Yeah, we lend each other our bravery. Yeah. Dan, for you, how did you feel about being in a cohort writing this book? this first book? Well, uh, you know, I should have looked up the word cohort um, to make sure it's properly used and if, there, if there's only two, um, because it was just myself and Susanna. And I guess that still counts as a cohort. It was amazingly um, constructive. And I, I echo what Emma said, uh, that the, the support you get, and um, Fanola, I wish I would written it down. You said something about share the bravery (laughs) or something like that. And and that was really important. Mm. Um, Susanna helped me in ways that I would have never expected um, because she didn't have any background in what I do. Mm. And I think that was really powerful. She she actually um, helped me create the term for something that was key in the book called the decision danger zone. And Mm. I, I didn't see it because I, I live it every day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, having someone else to participate with and uh, Emma, I think you said share in the highs and the lows and, and, and help you through it. And, and uh, so I, I, you know, we called each other our book buddies and I think buddy is the right word and we're going to continue to, to talk each week on other things we're working on. It's wonderful. So Deb, just to come to you, Deb Jenkins, who I interviewed, um, for her book, which <laughs> enticed me to actually dip my toe in the water. She, her, she's written several books, but one of the first books that I read was Stop Writing Books Nobody Reads. And we talked about it in episode uh, 38. And that was, for me, that was a really powerful book, as you know, Deb. And I'm curious, as you hear people speak about this process that you have uniquely developed, what's it feel like to hear them to have this manifest or come to life, like this is a very unique approach to getting a book written. Yeah, it's it's really exciting to hear, actually, because um, uh, you, I create a space and, and a process and a formula and an order. And then the magic that the people who come to the cohorts create together separately, and then they come back and tell me what they've been doing, like Dan and Susanna, uh, you know, were just amazing how they, like one plus one was 73, I think, with those two. Um, And I think that's, for me, the most exciting thing is when you bring really smart people together 
to follow a process. Uh, it, you, they they take that process and turn it into something amazing. And like you guys are doing in the current cohort, in your cohort, that you know you're, you're all going so far beyond um, the simplicity of the of the formula of the process. I have to share with the listeners that <laughs> in this very interesting process that Debs has developed, that one of the first things that we do is write out our table of contents. So we actually craft the structure of the book before we dig in to do the writing. And we have to do our table of contents of what the names of each of the chapters were or are at the start. And then we kind of share them with Debs and she gives us feedback. We do some one-to-one sessions. And she threw mine out. (laughs) And he went, she said, you know, Fanola, ChatGPT could have written that. (laughs) And I went, okay, don't hold back there, Debs. (laughs) But no, she was very kind. We laughed about it. But what, what was really empowering for me was to have someone care enough to tell me the truth that I wasn't going deep enough to, uh, I mean, this podcast is called Your Truth Shared and Debs called me on it. She said, it's not you. I don't see you in this. We need to see you. Because there's, I found myself in that first iteration of the book uh, sanitizing my own voice. It happens so frequently. People put on a writer's voice. They think I've got to write like a writer. This is what writers sound like. This is what a writer does. And they lose all of themselves. And ChatGPT is kind of like um, accelerating that craziness. And yeah, you're, you're, I, we had conversations and I was so excited that you were on the cohort. And then you show me this flat <laughs> um, <laughs> table of contents. I'm like, no, you can't do that. Um, she built up to it. <laughs> I was just, yeah, it's like, I love you and all of that, but um, but I think I said something along the lines of you need to slap them in the face first, and then you can give them a big hug. And you were going straight for the hug, and you need you needed to break them out of their complacency, like you do in real life. I had to take myself out of my own complacency. That was what was happening. Um, but I, I truly appreciate it. And I know that what I'm writing now is unexpected and definitely it's not what I expected. And I think Dan and Emma have also shared that with me in our intro call. Share with us why you decided to develop a process like this, Debs, because I think this is really interesting. Um, so I've been in around a bit for book writing. So I write my first book over 20 years ago. And then um, as lots of book coaches do, you write a book and you think you can be a book coach. Uh, so that's what I did and I set up a publishing company. So that was a long time ago. And over the years, over the last 20 years, kind of seen a trend to being a downward trend of of um of boringness. I can't think of a better way of saying it. The books became more and more boring. They became more and more cookie cutter, they became more and more the same, they became more and more uh, sales, brochures. Um, and it, 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 I was getting, I got bored of reading these books. I could guess what was going to be in a book. I could probably have written the table of contents from the title on the book. Um, and I got bored, I got really bored and I got quite cross because I don't want to waste my time reading something that shouldn't have been written and I don't want to be involved in something that shouldn't be written. So I really wanted to shake it up a little bit. And um, it's very hard 
to be shaken up on your own. Um, that's kind of exhausting. And so when I'd have a client, I'd try and shake them up. It was kind of exhausting for both of us. But together, that shaking up, you can still be supported as a group and push to the boundaries, push to the edges, get, you know, go beyond the sort of normalness of, of writing or, or what you think you should be writing. Um, and I think that I, I, I just got bored. I got bored and I wanted more for um, readers and I wanted more for writers, for the authors. Shared with me that you felt that the answer to this boringness was that people needed more constraints. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm an engineer. Engineer, we can't can't say a sentence without putting some sort of constraint in it. So uh, for me, constraints are things like time constraint or word count or uh, idea, atomic idea. So my, my the, what was happening, what I could see was somebody would have an idea for a book and that would exaggerate into uh, a map type book. It, was a, it would turn into a 50,000 word book that should have been a page um, because it, 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 it was like um, it's just an exaggeration it was a copycat of what everybody else was doing and I thought well if you put a constraint on it it has to be one atomic idea not a multitude of ideas not a roving wandering around if you put a constraint on it one atomic idea that it had to be for one real person not a persona or an avatar or a target group, it had to be for one real person. And it had to be only 20,000 words. If you did that and you did it together and you were forced, it was a forcing function to do this together and to have those as your rules, would we be able to write better books? Would we actually be able to write books that people would be bothered to read? And so far the answer is yes. So yay, well done everybody. Well, you've done really well because most of it, all of your cohorts have all reached number one bestsellers. Congratulations yes. to Dan and Emma, also number one bestsellers. So you've got to check out their books, which I will leave in the show notes. I had a question for the three of you, um, which was curious to me, which is when does someone become an author? Dan, your thoughts. Yeah, I actually went to the dictionary and looked up writer and author, and their synonyms, they mean the same. They cross-reference in their definitions. So if you're a writer, you're an author. But in my mind, a, a distinction is when someone who's not friends and family will pay for the book, it, for nonfiction in the business world, I think that's when you really can say, I did it. I, I am an author. That's what, that's what did it for me. So, you know, seeing people buy the book who I didn't know. Is it a book that makes you an author? Well, there's a threshold, right? You know, so it's it, it's the fallacy of the beard. At what point do you pluck out hairs and it's no longer a beard? It's same thing, putting them in. The writing words each day is writing. Um, I, have a, I have a friend who's a published poet, and he actually won an award. He became the poet laureate of his county. And when I congratulated him on that, he said, I didn't even realize I was the poet laureate of my attic. Uh, it was when he got external validation that really made him feel like, wow, I'm doing something here. So I, I do think you need some validation. Um, and and, and um, uh, if I may, in the cohort, or, or even Debs, if she's giving you that harsh feedback, when someone else is looking at your work, and and maybe they're not maybe the cohort we don't pay each other we just give each other feedback but i think that makes the difference you know you can write all you want by yourself but until someone else looks at it i think that's when there 
become some validation to it. Mm. Thank you, Dan. Emma, your thoughts? I, I think there is something tangible about a book that, you know, kind of you can hold it, you can see it, you can touch it. Um, and I think people understand that in a way that I've, I've written journal articles um, and academic papers and then um, uh, career articles for some uh, journals. And are you an author at that point? You are if you have an academic paper and you might have written something with 10 other people or 100 other people, depending on the discipline. But people don't see that in quite the same way as you've written a book. Um, there is something very, very different. And I think it is that tangibility that I could go and pick it up. Um, Do you feel like more of an author now when you're the only name on the under the title? Yes. Is there a difference? Yes, it does feel different um, because this is this is my baby. And I guess this next book, book number three, um, is different again because it's a different type of book. And I think uh, that sort of um, uh, what Debs would call a landmark book. So there's a lot more of me in it. Um, the, the the unique guide is, you know, kind of a, a, a roadmap of what to do in your career and is very much experimental design 101, you know, do this, do this, do this. Um, whereas the this current book has a lot more of me in it. So perhaps I do feel more authory in that respect, I think. Love it. Debs, your thoughts? I, I like Dan's checking on the definitions. I think that's impressive because <laughs> um, <laughs> I never have. Um, uh, I, I think... I think the authorness, the authorliness, as Emma calls it, um, is different for each person. The first re real time I realised I was an author was when somebody asked me to sign their book. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to even write. Uh, like, I didn't know how to do that, um, so I'd never done that. So for me, that that was my first feeling of being an author. Um, but I think. Um, when you create something, when you write something and you put words down in any format and those words have an impact or a transformation on somebody else, then you're an author. That's my definition. Even if it's an Instagram post? Even if it's an Instagram post, if you can move somebody, transform them, give them information, validation, value, then I think you're an author. And it's original to you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Explain to people why one of the first things that I learned from you was that your book has to have a job. Can you share that with the listeners? Because I think it's incredibly valuable. Yeah, there's, um, there's, there's been a fad or a fashion to have a book just to say, I'm an author, to tick the box. I've got a book, I've done that, um, and um, uh, I've, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, got the book. Uh if you're going to write a book, uh, we've already mentioned the joys and the lows and the highs and the downs, um, you're going to go through a, if you do a good job and you do uh, a, 
the reader a service of writing a book that's going to be transformational for them, then you're going to go through a lot of pain to get there. And you may have to pay, you may have to, you'll certainly have to invest your own time. So you're going to put time and energy and effort and money and tears into it. So if at the end of that, all you end up with is a physical book that does nothing for your business, that doesn't help you grow, that doesn't help you get more clients, that doesn't uh, help people get a transformation, then you've missed a really massive opportunity. Your book has to have a job to do before you write your book because knowing the job your book has to do will inform what you write, how you write it, how it's uh, what format it turns up in at the end, whether that turns into a course in the future or if it turns into an audio book. Um, so unless the job, the book has a job to be done, then don't do the book. Yeah, I think that's really powerful because I think that you can, well, I mean, first I will say that my second table of contents she did like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, and, but always being focused on the work on the job that the book has to do has made me give more to the book and more of myself to the book. And I think I hadn't thought like that before. I wonder, Dan and Emma, do you have that similar experience? Yeah, the big part of Debs's process is the thought leadership canvas. And that really keeps you on the straight and narrow um, and it made all the difference um, because for me a lot because it's easy for me to spout ideas and and uh, they can be very disorganized. They make sense to me, but they won't make sense to anyone else. So the canvas organizes you and you really have to be aware of what transformation you're trying to create, what value you're adding and what what things might get in the way and how do you overcome that for people. So yeah, you have to have it. And, and uh, y- you know, it, I wrote the, my book because people are pressured for time. And b- reading books, that's a pressure for time as well. So you may as well be adding value at every, at, at, with every page as much as possible. So, yeah, you have to do it. And, and that's the job, adding value the whole way. Uh, Deb, you made a, uh, you told me a story about or this idea that lots of people when they were reading books were going to Blinkist or summary.com to, instead of reading full books, they were actually reading the summary so that they could, they could get, as they say, the cliff notes and understand what the book was about and then move on. And that, and that led you to, I think, a piece of research that said that people are re- actually reading only 15 minutes worth of um, text anymore. That scared me. And uh, it scared me. I said, that's really dreadful. And then I investigated my own reading habits at the time and thought, oh, actually, it's true. I had actually started doing that as well without noticing this um, read a table of contents, think I understand the book, miss all of the nuance because it's 60,000 words and I haven't got 60,000 words of time to read it all. So I would miss the stories and I would miss the nuance. But I would think I knew what was going on in the book. I think I would know the idea. And um, that, that stressed me out for readers, for myself as a reader, but it also stressed me out for the authors because the authors, if they're writing a 20,000 word book or a 60,000 word book, will have put lots of energy and effort and thought into those words. And 
we want them to be read. That's why we wrote them. And so if you're just going to the cliff notes, if you're just going to just read the, somebody else's interpretation of those books, then the writer, uh, it, it, they haven't done a good enough job. In my opinion, they haven't done enough, a good enough job. We have to take account of readers. A book, a writer exists with readers. They are impossible to have one without the other. And if we're not taking account of our readers that they don't have time or desire to read um, long, long, long books, we've got to, we have got to be responsible and take that responsibility and say, okay, I'm going to give you the best version of this book. I'm going to give you 20,000 words. I am going to get that transformation as quickly and as efficiently and effectively and as elegantly as I possibly can. You don't have to go and work it out some other way. I'm going to do that for you. That's why, like, you know, job to be done is so important. What's the job the book has to do? Has it done that job? Uh, Can I do it more effectively, efficiently? Can I add more value? So you're... And as a result, you have this constraint of 20,000 words. And I love this story that Dan shared the, last week with us, which was you were asking people to uh, read the book. You're w- one guy to read a book and he had no time. He was going to. And then you asked him, you you, st- you tell the story, Dan. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Um, a, a really great friend of mine is not a reader, and but he, he knew I was writing this book and he said to me, how can I help you? I said, why? I need people to read it for a review. He said, I can totally do that. He had a two-week window. The Thursday before the Monday it was due, he sends me a frantic email and he says, Dan, I'm not going to be able to read the book. What, what can I do? I said, look, just read one chapter. And the way I wrote the book, I, there's a flow chart. You can pick a chapter you like. There's 30-second summaries. You can say it's the best chapter you read. No one has to know it was the only chapter you read. He goes, oh, great, thanks. The Monday he sends an email. Here's my review. And he said, I read the whole thing. I couldn't put it down. I could hear your voice in my head, you know, and in your, it just was great. And that was a really powerful thing for me because he's not a reader. I don't think he's ever read a book in one sitting, and which is what he probably had to do in order to finish it in the time. I mean, given that he's not a fast reader and all that. So that, that was a really great, you know, validation for me. And I'm going to go back to something Deb said, you know, about the writer has responsibility to help the reader out. I know most of you have been in a session where someone puts up a slide and says, oh, I'm sorry, this next chart's a bit of an eye chart. And what that says to me is, I'm sorry, I didn't value your time. I just threw everything I had on one slide. I hope you can see what I was saying. And that's not fair to, the, to someone in the audience, not someone t- fair to a reader. Make it easy for them. Fantastic. Emma, you have this also lovely story. I'm just going to flip to this idea of the one reader. And when we think about the one reader, the amount of work that Debs has us do to define the personality, the pain points of that one reader that you're trying to help. You've recently had some testimonials back from people who've read your book, the first draft of your book, which is not yet published. And it was like, I'll let you share, please. Yeah, so um, it was someone who who'd just come on one of my courses and um, she just said, oh, I'm, she was finishing her PhD, wasn't quite sure what to do. Can we have a quick phone call? So we had a quick phone call. And then at the end I said, look, I've got this draft of a book. I think there's some useful stuff in there, but it is a draft. So I, I completely covered it in caveats, completely. Um, uh, if it's useful, you know, 
um, so much better. Have a read. And she came back and she went, I really resonated with everything on page six, which is a list of reasons you might be unsettled in academia because it's about leaving academia. And um, she was just, I had written the book for her. My one reader wasn't her, um, but it was someone in that position who I can just say, look, this is... um, this is for you. So she was very promptly asked for an endorsement as well. So with her kind feedback. How did you feel knowing uh, that you'd amazing nailed it? Because it had made it had made the difference for that that one person. And to some extent, brilliant. You know, kind of if if it makes a difference to one person's career, that's amazing. I'm kind of hopeful that it will make more difference than that. And in fact, um, I met uh, someone's partner on Friday, and he was he he was echoing the words that are in the book. I'm not sure what to do next. I don't know where to go. So he will be being sent a copy of yeah. the very <laughs> rough draft as well. Um, so I think it, it, when it when your words, the words that you've written, resonate with someone, I think that is the best feeling in the world, and it also is that distillation of um the professional work that you know I've been doing for the past however many years 20 years into into something very pithy and useful and that someone can read it and go that's what I need I think that is it's a validation of you know, kind of um, the work I did in the university, but then also my business of, of distilling that down into something nugget-sized um, for them to to really read and then go off and do whatever. So, yeah, it, it felt amazing. It was great. Bravo. I asked you guys last week uh, one word that describes what it feels like now that you've become an author. Dan. You said, I don't know if you're going to keep it. <laughs> you said, satisfierish, fierce. <laughs> yeah, I'll keep it. Um, it's a, a portmanteau of uh, satisfied and afraid because the book's written. Um, it had a job to do. Now it's my job to let it do the job. And I have to promote, I have to talk to people, and I have to leverage what I've created, which I'm in the process of doing, which is. Um, Another word I've created, which is coursifying what's in the book so that it's more accessible for people um, when they don't have the book in front of them. So I'm, I'm, I have lots of cool flow charts and ways to get for people to get stuff. And I hope to have a small beta by the end of next week because somebody asked me, uh, when are you going to show me it? So I have some pressure there. Bravo. But does it, does it do the thing that most people... I'll ask that question of both of you in a second. Emma, your word. My word, which I'm still going to stick to because I've thought about it a lot this week, is accomplished. So, mm. you know, kind of we can have that accomplished author. Um, so, but I think for me, I've, I've accomplished writing a book by myself. And the reason that I chose physics was that I didn't like writing. I liked sums because they were quick and easy to do as opposed to, the word thing um so i've actually accomplished well two and three quarter books at this point but i think there is also something about 
being accomplished as um, in that I now am an author. I have my viewpoints out there in the world. And that, that I think does, colors the way that people uh, look at you. I guess it's a credibility clue um, with, with my uh, clients. Um, but it's particularly lovely that when I'm working with PhD students, they go, but I really want to write a book. And I went, well, if you can write a book, if I can write a book, you can write a book. And if you've got something there that the world needs to know, you too can accomplish it and then be accomplished. So I think there is, yeah, I really like that word. I think it works, especially in my arena where, you know, kind of academic publishing, that's, that's how you get your ideas out there. Um, I hope that mine are slightly more readable than my early physics papers, which I hope have just, you know, got buried somewhere. So, Debs, do you have a word? How many books have you written? Uh, 18. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and my, I suppose my word would be overexcited. I get overexcited about every book, um, but I'm most overexcited about the book that's going to be coming out with your cohort because mm -hmm. I write a book with the cohorts as well. And my next book is called The Credibility Crisis. Um, mm. And um, this is my first book, where, which is a landmark book. As Emma was saying earlier, landmark books are where you kind of put your head above the parapet a bit more. Um, and so I'm really overexcited about this book. Um, and I'm just overexcited about books and writing and publishing in general. I know. Another question for all three of you, right? So... It's the same question for all of you. Has writing the book, because I think this is important for the listeners, has writing this book or the books been the lever in your business that actually takes your business to the next level? I know it's early days, but it's still like your thoughts, Dan. I would say absolutely yes, because I work for myself. So the joke I say is when I look in the mirror, I see the whole company, my IT department's terrible, my marketing department needs a load of help. But by writing the book, I now, my marketing department is a lot smarter. Mm. We know some things we can say. And, and, um, and I, it's a, it, maybe it's back to Emma saying accomplished. I, I have some things I can say, and I feel okay putting things on LinkedIn, which I wasn't doing before. And I have ideas that I can share with, with people. And I had one person say they look forward to my posts every day. They say they're really adding value to them. So that's, I would have never done that before. So yeah, it's, it, the book created that. It's the only reason I'm doing it. So yes, it, it's helping and I got ways more to go. That's why I have that fear factor, but I'm satisfied. The, the, you know, the marketing department's now pulling its own weight. Love it. <laughs> Emma. Yeah, my marketing department has definitely um, got a lot better. So I think that process of, um, of writing a book, putting your ideas out there is yes, it's a it's a tangible business asset. But I think the bigger effect that it's had is on me as a business owner. So I've kind of stepped into dare I even say the word thought leadership. Honestly, I probably wouldn't have said that six months ago. I might faint in the moment, um, but. I, I feel changed by the process and I guess that um, I feel like I'm getting into my stride that it's 
I guess the first book I thought, oh, it would just be, you know, a business asset or whatever. And now it is actually a, a business strand and it is part of my identity. So, yeah, I think I've learned a lot of skills and things which feed back into the business, but I think there's been a, a, a mindset shift in in how I approach m- myself and my business. You said something really great last week. You said, I found my voice and I don't want to shut it up. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, watch this space. You're going to have to listen to a lot more of me <laughs> or read no. a lot more of me. <laughs> both, both. Debs, your thoughts. I mean, it's always been a lever for, or well, I'll ask you the same question. I won't make assumptions. Yeah, um, I the first book I wrote, which is in 2003, was the biggest change for my business. Uh, I got on on stages, I got speaking gigs, I got sent around Europe to and paid to speak rather than just speaking, which is my usual trick. Um, and I, I actually made a massive difference to me during that time and then because of that that's when I started uh, writing uh, started the publishing company my whole um identity is around books and around words and uh creating words whether I'm doing that for myself or for other people so yeah it's it's everything to me Mm. but every time you write a book does it take you up a level uh Yes, and across levels because I've written books in different genres, um, yeah. genres time as well. So um, I've written books in Spanish, in Spanish in, and books for Spain. And um, so, yeah, it, it takes you, you can go deep and wide with books. So there's a question that a lot of people ask about when they, um, when they start to look at bo- writing a book. And there is an assumption in the business world in some respects that you don't make money when you write a book. Do you want to speak to that a little bit, Debs? <laughs> it's probably true. Um, so you don't make money from the book, uh, the individual single book. You know, you might make two pounds, three pounds um, uh, from the book. What you make money from is use is the job the book has to do for you. You make money from how you use the book in your business, you make money from how you use the book as a credibility clue, how it's uh, referable. So you are now creating this word of mouth rather than you having to go and beg people to tell about you. Now they're going to say, hey, I read this brilliant book. You need to read it. And it, that happens naturally. Um, it's um, yeah. So you might not make money from the individual book sale. It will get you onto stages. It will get you into events. It will get you uh, as a speaker. If that's what you want to do, it will get you um, at tables that you would probably never have been invited to before. So yeah, books are like magic door openers and you might not make money on the individual book, but you probably, if you do it well, you will, your book will be a business asset and you will make, uh, more money than you invested. So one final thing for each of you, I'd love to know what if you met somebody now who's had an idea for a book on the back burner for so long, like for me, it was a few years and I think I'm not alone in that feeling. What would you say to them? What thought would you leave them with today, Dan? Have a process. And I mean, I I don't have a lot of experience, but I think Debs's process works really well as as evidenced by the number of people who have published with her cohort process. 
that makes all the difference in the world. Emma? I think I'd echo Dan, but I think it's the process and it's the, I, I like your phrase, buddies. Um, mm. It's the process and the buddies. And, and for me, it's that company on the journey mm. um, really helps you going. Yes, you've got a deadline, but you've got someone tugging you up the mountain if you need to or giving you a quick push or you're doing the same for someone else. And I think that, that buddy process is definitely that's that's um, what got me over the finish line on the third one, for sure. Mm. What would you say, Debs? Um, the longest time from um, starting a book to getting the book published was a client of mine who had read my book uh, 17 years ago and started her book and took 10 years till she got to speak to me. So what would my advice be? Don't give up. So if you started a book 17 years ago and you thought it was a great idea 17 years ago, if you still think it's a good idea now, then you might be right. Um but get advice, and it's not just advice from somebody else who's done it. You want advice from somebody who's done it and done it badly as well as well. Because <laughs> that, the, avoiding the mistakes, um, I think is, is, it's going to get you there faster and cheaper and easier, and you're going to get to your goal faster. So you want, you really do want to join a cohort, yay, or speak to people who have, um, have more than one book experience if you're going to buddy up get some um multiple experiences in your on your side i think that what i would like to leave people with just because i'm in the middle of this process now is writing with other people breaks breaks that sticking place one of the things, one of the problems I see with business and business growth is that people stay in the same sticking place for so long and don't know how to get out of it. But you can take the journey with other people who are at the same stage as you, who will laugh with you and cry with you. We've had cries on ours <laughs> on our cohorts. Mainly because and of you, you Fanola. Just <laughs> let's just get that clear. <laughs> and it's it's such uh, a powerful experience to help you unlock your own unique voice in a way that you never would have imagined that it's absolutely worth the try. Thank you guys for joining me and sharing the journey with everyone else. And I'll do links to the show notes for everyone here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Debbie Jenkins, Dan Kowalski or Emma Williams, check them out on LinkedIn and click on the links in the show notes to check out their books and websites. And if you'd like to support the show, follow or subscribe on your chosen platform. It really does make a difference. And reach out and let me know your takeaways from this episode. What would you like to know more about? Send me a message.